Hey, what's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us today on the For the Bible Tells Me So podcast. My name is Riley, and if I haven't met you yet, it's great to, in a sense, virtually meet you right now. Thanks for joining us today. Um, You're joining us for a fun episode called Stepping on Sin's Neck. That's right, Stepping on Sin's Neck. Sounds like a bizarre title. It'll make more sense here in a little bit. But basically what we're talking about today is straight up victory in Christ over sin. I want to talk about this today because I recognize, you know, we're all home right now. And with being home comes a number of challenges. And from these challenges come temptations oftentimes. You know, a lot of us are behind way too many closed doors right now. We're scrolling too frequently. We're spending too much money online. Or we're just thinking too much and making poor decisions as a result. This time of temporary isolation is causing some of us to develop habits that we're embarrassed about or maybe even get to the point where we feel like we actually can't be forgiven of them. But the truth is that God has great plans for you right now, wherever you are listening. He's not content with you living a life of shame or defeat or habitual rejection of God's way. No, Jesus came to bring you from death to life. So what we're talking about here is overcoming sin. Now, I don't know anything about combat. I've never been in a fight in my life. But from what I've learned from different military officers and different fighters I've heard interviewed is that, you know, before you go into a fight, it's one thing to train to fight, but it's a whole nother thing to know about your opponent what are their weaknesses what are their strengths what are their strategies and so today as we talk about overcoming sin I want to take a step back and actually say what is sin where did it originate and why is it bad for our lives why do we want to avoid it and overcome it so much and in order to do that you got to actually take even a step further and go back to the very beginning of the book of Genesis the first three chapters in the first book of the Bible. And what we learn there is about where sin originated and actually is a response to what God designed. So what we're going to talk about here for a couple moments is God's original intention for mankind, what has happened to disrupt that intention, and how Jesus has provided a solution for us to continue in God's purposes. So we're going to look at God's original intention for mankind and the disruption to that intention um, here in Genesis chapters 1 through 3. And this is going to give us a framework for how sin came into the world and how we can really combat it through the power of Jesus. Let's talk first about God's original intention for mankind. When you go back to Genesis, you go to chapters 1 through 2, you see a couple different things there. One is that you see God designed Adam and Eve as a reflection of his character and nature. It says in Genesis that God created mankind in his image to be a reflection of who he is. That's important. That's who God has made you to be. Number two, God gave Adam and Eve a plan for flourishing in life with God. God gave Adam and Eve this great mandate to work the ground, to name the animals, to take care of the garden, to love each other, to be fruitful, and to multiply. 
and three. God gave Adam and Eve free will. This is super important. Free will to choose how they made decisions. Here's what God was laying out for them. He's saying, look, Adam and Eve, I am crafting you in my image. You're going you're gonna to be examples of love and purpose and planning and joy and work. And I'm going to give you a plan for it. I'm going to give you places to place your energy. I'm going to give you bodies that are designed to be fruitful and multiply. I'm going to give you these things so you can really fulfill this plan and design that I've created. And I'm going to give you the free will. I'm going to give you the choice of saying whether or not you really want to live into this plan that I've built for you. I I believe, you know, when I look at Genesis 1 through 3, God is just making it crazy easy for Adam and Eve just to say yes, yes, yes to God all the time. God is just the creator, the provider, the blesser. And the natural response is just to say, God, I'm all in. I'm going to follow you. Thank you for even letting me be a part of this plan. That is God's original design and story for mankind. In that story, God is the hero, the protagonist, the victor, and mankind is joining in to really share in this blessing that God has created. So that's God's original intention for mankind. And then Genesis 3 happens, and we see the disruption. Satan's plan of disruption to overthrow God's purpose. Check this out. This is, this is what Satan was trying to do to mess up the story so far. Satan came into the story, talked to Eve, and when she when he did, he opposed he blatantly opposed God's authority and his design. God had looked at Adam and Eve and said, Hey, I have created all this land for you to enjoy. But there's one tree over here. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I don't want you to touch of it because when you do, you will surely die. Adam and Eve listened, but then Satan came and he spoke to Eve privately and said, did God really say that? Did he really say that? He was just going against what God had said. So that was the first strategy to question God's authority and his design. And then Satan is audacious enough to suggest to Eve that God knows her potential, but is willingly preventing her from actually experiencing it. He's like, did he, did he really say you can't eat from that tree? I mean, I think he actually did, but you know why he said it. He said it because, you know, when you eat from that tree, you're actually going to receive the same kind of power that God has. And when you do that, you know, God's going to be intimidated. And he does not want you to share in the power that he has because he wants all the control from him, himself. He wants to just be a dictator to you. He just wants to control you. So, hey, if you want to live as a pawn, then just, you know, obey God. But if you want to live as your own woman, if you want to be, you know, victorious in your own eyes, you want to write your own story, then go eat that fruit. It's free for the taking. Just do it. That is Satan's tactic to get Eve to turn on God's plan for her life by putting God as the oppressor and as Eve as the victim. And then we see that Eve actually listens to Satan and sees the fruit now through Satan's lens. 
Satan is encouraging her to question God's goodness and saying, Eve, I think you know better than God. So why don't you go eat from the tree? And she listens to that. It sounds good to her heart. And she sees the, the fruit. She's like, that looks good. I want it. I want to make this decision to get that fruit right now, even though God told me not to. I can take this into my own hands. I want what I want, and I'll do whatever I need to do to get it. And so she starts seeing God's story through Satan's lens. And then Eve shares her new enlightenment with Adam, and Adam joins in willingly with her. These are some of the saddest verses in Scripture that that Eve listens to Satan. She grabs the fruit, straight up disobeys God, eats the fruit, and looks at her partner and says, Here, I just had this. You should have it as well. And Adam, we don't read of any questions. He just eats it as well. Both Adam and Eve sinned together, and Eve led Adam into the sin that she committed. That's one of the dangerous things about sin is that you can bring other people into it with you. What we see here is the introduction of rebellion. We see the the origin of sin right here. And basically what we're seeing is the um, the conflict between God's story and Satan's story. God's story is all about human flourishing where God is the provider and the caretaker of these people. He gives the purpose and we join in with him. Satan looks at that story and says, that's not right. Actually, God doesn't love you. God loves himself and he's holding out on you. So you should make your own decisions and you should do your own life the way you want to do it. You should make it your own and disobey what this oppressive creator has said. That is the essence of what, of where sin comes from. It comes from this direct rebellion against God's goodness. And it is oftentimes so fueled by Satan's twisted narrative of who God is and who we are in light of who God is. Satan tried to show Eve that she could be the hero of her own story by suggesting that she could take decisions into her own hands. And this seemed good to Eve, um, but she realized real quickly that when she made that decision, that she actually took herself out of God's plan. So here's the bottom line. When we talk about overcoming sin, what we're talking about is reclaiming God's original vision, his original story for what it looks like to be human. Jesus renews this vision. When we, when we look at the life of Jesus, just thousands of years after this story, when we look at it, we see that Jesus renews this vision for human flourishing by reaffirming God's will for humanity, destroying Satan's plans of disruption, and reuniting us with God through his death and resurrection. So with that understanding, what I thought we could do today is talk about how we can um, really step on sin's neck. How can we look at Satan's narrative, the, the twisted, manipulative narrative that it is, how can we recognize it? How can we push against it? How can we run from it? And how can we ultimately always run towards God's plan for our lives? Because you know probably as well as I know, Satan's story 
in our lives, it's not like Satan just pops up into our life and just tells us to disobey God. It's way more subtle than that. It's like Satan just influences and stewards these these little temptations that we have inside our hearts and just wreaks havoc on them, makes them seem to be so true and leads us to sin. So how can we recognize that pattern before it even happens? And how can we just bounce out once we recognize that Satan is influencing our lives? Once we we feel like that sin is going to overcome us in a sense, how can we just avoid it and run to God's plan? How can we worship God in those moments? So what I want to talk about today is some ways to really just step on sin's neck. And these, you know, these like little principles I'm about to give, you know, I'm kind of speaking towards victory over sexual sin in a big way because I know a lot of us are really wrestling with that right now. Pornography usage is up in a crazy way right now. All kinds of like perversion around sexuality that is all being done in such a high capacity right now while we're sheltering in place more than normal. And so I just want to be able to look at God's word and just see what is God trying to really speak into our lives about victory over sin. So here's my first point. Run when you want to stay. Run when you want to stay. You know, I was reading in Genesis 39 recently about Joseph. You know, Joseph was this great man of God. Um, He was a guy who would accomplish so much and would gain more and more notoriety, more and more influence until he was really at the right hand of the king. And during this season of his life, you know, he's like accomplishing so much. People are seeing him as a great leader And it says in scripture that he was a handsome man. And Potiphar, Joseph's boss, the king, Potiphar, Potiphar's wife looked at Joseph and was super attracted to him. And she would talk to him, ask him, lean over to him, grab, like she wanted him so desperately until the point where one day she actually grabbed a hold of his clothes and pulled him in and said, lie with me. And what it says in scripture is that Joseph ran away and left his garment with her. Now, I don't know how this happened. You know, right now there's videos going around online where people are doing like handstands and like trying to take off like a shirt or a piece of clothing and like put it back on. And it's like insane watching that stuff go down. I don't know how people do that. But I feel like maybe Joseph did like a similar thing. Like, I don't know if he had like wiggle out of his tunic or what to get away from Potiphar's wife. But scripture just tells us that, dude, he straight up ran from this woman who wanted to be with him. What a great example of running away from temptation. I mean, he was a man. I'm sure that he was, you know, intrigued by this woman who wanted to be with him. And he said, no, 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 I cannot have any part of this relationship right now I gotta bounce you know I've been with some young men before and we've talked about you know overcoming the battle of our minds you know it's like 
we got to just overcome this porn addiction and we got to run away from it as fast as possible. And I remember one time I was talking with a young guy and I was like, dude, like, I think we just got to run this off real quick. Cause he was just like, I, I could tell he was feeling so racked in his mind about the things that he had looked at before he came to a Bible study and um, the things that he was thinking. And I was like, dude, let's just get this out of your system. Let's just run around the church parking lot a couple times. And so we did. We just put on our shoes. We just ran around a few times. And it was silly. I know that sounds so stupid, but the idea here is just like, dude, when that kind of stuff gets in your brain, just run. Just run. Because if you stay, you'll want to stay. I mean, it feels good to stay, honestly. Um, But we have to run have to run figuratively and sometimes literally you might need to run to a friend you might need to call them you may need to look towards a good podcast or a video that is wholesome Um, you may want to run to these different things to kind of fill your mind with something good and pure and righteous but truthfully and this is going to sound like just the church answer but we need to run to Jesus first But my suggestion is that, you know, you can run to Jesus when you do fall into sin afterwards and receive forgiveness. God so faithful to give that to us. But I recommend before you even come into contact with that temptation, run to Jesus. Let that relationship with Jesus be the first place where you spend your day. Open up to him. Talk to him. Receive from him. Read from his word. Get Get time to just worship and open up your heart to God. He wants to speak to you, but he he is with us before the temptation, in the temptation, and through the temptation. He's with you through the whole thing. Run to him sooner than later. You got to run when you want to stay. The second thing is that you got to cut out anything that will cause you to fail. This is one of the hardest things I feel like to do. You know, back in the book of Judges, chapter 16, there's a story about Samson. Now, Samson was crazy strong. Let me just tell you about this guy. This guy was nuts, super strong, and all of his strength came from his hair is what we read about in Scripture. This is a guy who, like, he found, like, a donkey, like, on the road and grabbed its jaw, pulled it out, and then whooped some people with that John just threw it away when he was done. This guy was savage. He like killed a lion, tore it to pieces. Just think about the strongest dude you know. Samson was just like unreal, next level, crazy. But with all that strength, he had one great weakness, and that was women. He had such an issue with the women in his life. He would give himself sexually to women and take their sexuality with him as well. And in chapter 16 of Judges, we read about Samson with Delilah. Now, Delilah was straight up dangerous, dude. She was sketchy. She wanted to know where his strength came from so that she could tell the Philistines, Samson's enemies, how they could bind him and eventually kill him. And so she asked him multiple times about where his strength comes comes from. He didn't really give her the right answers. It was a little bit embarrassing for her. And eventually he said, look, the real strength comes from my hair. And upon saying that, 
she told that to the, the Philistines. They cut his hair and they took him as captive. And he has a tragic end to his life. He could have avoided so much pain, so much, man, heartbreak, if he would just have ran away from this woman who was straight up poison to his life. Now, I recently had to make a big decision just with my Instagram and social media accounts. This is nothing like Samson at all, but I just noticed, man, like I opened up my feed and a friend of mine from high school posted a photo of herself and it was just like, I don't need to get into it, but I just didn't need to see that photo. You know what I'm saying? I didn't need to see it. And I had to make the tough call in that moment. You know, I was like, dang, this is a friend of mine. And now she's starting to post photos like this. I think I had to unfollow her. And so I did. And I don't know if she saw that. Honestly, it doesn't really matter to me a whole lot right now. But that process, I actually went through a bunch of my friends. And I realized, like, I was looking at the people I'm following. I was like, okay, I need to follow this person that I, was, I just mentioned because of that photo she posted. But there are a lot of other accounts that weren't women that I was like attracted to or anything like that. But I just noticed that there are actually some accounts that I follow that um, I really compare myself to. And I just knew that when I looked at their photos, read their captions, saw their stories, that I would really start comparing myself to them and that I would become discontent with my own life and that I was guilty of the sin of just comparison. I would just look at it in my heart. I would never say it like this, but I was really acting like it. I was just saying, God, I don't have the best. Like what you've given me isn't good enough. I don't like the way I look. I don't like what I have. I don't like the position that I'm in. I wish I had it like this. I wish I looked like that. I wish I could do this. And man, that kind of sin, it can produce some bad decisions. And so I had to unfollow a bunch of people That probably sounds like a silly example, but man, when temptation comes our way, we got to run, but we also just got to cut it off, like get it out of our minds so that we don't have this temptation to just nurture those thoughts and just think about them, let them kind of stew over in our minds. We got to cut it off. Remember, God's vision for our thriving isn't based on how much we can get away with without upsetting God or something like that. God's vision for our lives is to be submissive as loving children to Him, our loving Father. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, what are we allowing into our bodies and into our spaces that God would see as a deal breaker in our relationship with Him? Or maybe even just something that's questionable. You know, I don't believe that God is happy with me comparing myself all the time. Just saying that what He's already given me isn't enough. I know God's not happy with me looking at another woman with improper thoughts. Those kinds of things, those those are not conducive to a healthy relationship with Jesus. He's looking for us to repent, literally to turn away from those things and to follow him. But sometimes, man, you just got to cut it down at the root. Cut it out if it may cause you to fail. Okay, and our third point is this. Let's step on sin's neck. Let's step on sin's neck. This is where that point comes from. In Joshua chapter 10, 
Joshua is leading the people of Israel into the promised land. Now, as they were going into the promised land, Israel faced all kinds of opposition from different surrounding um, people groups. And at this one particular moment in time, there were these five different armies with five different leaders who were coming against Israel. They were just forming a pact together to come at Joshua to defeat Israel. And, you know, God went before Joshua. It's like an amazing story. You have to read it. Joshua chapter 10. But Joshua's going forward with the Israelites. God is fighting the war for them. And then kind of like towards the end of the war, we see that these five leaders go into this cave. Joshua grabs these men. He, he grabs these five leaders and he grabs all the men of Israel with him. And then he grabs the commanders of the army to come close to Joshua with these five opponents, these five people who wanted to destroy Israel. And he says, commanders of Israel, come over here. I want you to put your your feet on the necks of these kings. And so they do so. And Joshua looks at them and says, and so God will always do this for you. He will always fight for you and he will always win your battles for you. He will never forsake you. He is always for you and he will never let you down. I'm paraphrasing here. We're just going with it. But Joshua says this to the commanders of Israel as their feet are stepping on the necks of these evil men who try to kill them. And then Joshua grabs out his sword and he kills all five of these men who wanted to destroy Israel. Now, I feel like this is, that, that's a violent story. I understand. But the picture is this, that anything that comes your way to destroy you, man, if you got God's spirit inside of you, God is with you and he will always fight for you and win your battles for you. And I feel like this is, this picture of Joshua, it's so prophetic because I feel like it goes back to Genesis chapter three, verse 15, where God looks to, um, he looks to the snake, he looks to Satan and he says this, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is God speaking of when Jesus would come and defeat Satan's greatest weapon. This, this is Satan's greatest weapon, okay? Death. And Jesus would defeat death by resurrection and regeneration. This is like crazy, you know, Joshua fighting this battle for the Israelites is so prophetic of this verse in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 and it even speaks forward to when Jesus would go to the cross where he would be he would absorb death and sin into his body where in a sense you know Satan the snake would bruise Jesus's heel on the cross but three days later when Jesus rises from the grave what he was doing is he was bruising the head of Satan he was winning the victory over Satan, he was stepping on him. And in a sense, he was really gaining the victory over death itself. The greatest weapon that Satan has could not stand a chance when it comes to the power of Jesus. Jesus didn't come 
to combat Satan like Joshua combated uh, the opposing nations of Israel. Jesus didn't take a sword to Satan's neck. Not yet, at least, but that's something we could talk about when we come to the book of Revelation sometime. Instead, Jesus took the full impact of Satan's greatest weapon, death, and proved he could overcome it by coming back to life. We now step on sin's neck metaphorically by sharing in Jesus' death and his resurrection. This is how he steps on sin's neck. It's actually through his own death and his own resurrection by the power of God. Check this out. This is what Paul says about this, this whole idea of overcoming sin. This is what Paul says in chapter 8, verses 5 through 7. For if we have been united with him, Jesus, in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Isn't that beautiful? You know, that death that Jesus died, that resurrection that he enacted. When we place our faith in Jesus, what we are doing is we are identifying, we are sharing in his death and his resurrection without having to actually experience it ourselves. Aren't you so thankful for that? That we have to take on the burden of sin like Jesus did, but instead we get to just rejoice knowing that he did that for us. He rose to life for us. We now have been born again out of this death that we've experienced to sin. I know a lot of this may sound just very spiritual and kind of hard to understand, but the core of the message is this. It's that you are a new person in Jesus. Your default now is victory over sin. The sin that you engage in as a believer, that is not who you are anymore. You are not a slave to that sin anymore. You may feel like that sometimes, but your default is victorious. Not because of your own effort, not because of your great track record, not because of all the steps that you've taken to cut sin out and run away from it, but because of what Jesus has done for you. You now share by default in his death and in his resurrection. That is who you are. You are now a resurrected, born-again believer in Jesus. So, Scripture tells us, Paul tells us in Romans 6, so act like it. This is the life you've been given, man. Like, you are victorious now. Let's go. But I realize, you know, some of us, when we look at these verses, maybe you say, yeah, this is great, but I still just can't get over this sin in my life. And I get that, you know. Um... We are all in a process of what we call in the Christian faith, sanctification, which means that just kind of day by day, we are becoming more and more like Jesus. We're not ever going to get to be perfect like he is, but man, we can begin truly living like this person that we've been created to live as, and that is the journey that we're all on. So maybe you're saying, look, I still got this sin. It feels like it's very alive to me. I get that, but remember that Jesus died for that sin. He knew that sin when he went to the cross. He took it down 
into death. And now it has been dealt with. You are not your sin anymore. That is not your personality. That shame is not who you are. You are now loved. You are now graced with the gift of new life in Jesus. So my encouragement is this. Super simple. Spend time with Jesus. After all, in John, Jesus said, Abide in me and I will abide in you. This looks like this doesn't look like, you know, you coming to church on a Sunday or you listening to a, a great podcast once a week about Jesus or, you know, kind of just fitting in quiet time with the Lord just kind of in your off time. That's not what abiding means. That's not what spending time with Jesus means. What I'm talking about here is that you'd spend time reading Jesus' words throughout the Gospels, that you memorize these words, that you would put these stories in your heart, that you would get a feeling for who Jesus is, that you place yourself where the disciples were at when they were following Jesus, that you'd that you would truly just spend time with him. Get lost asking questions with him. Search scripture. Study it. Fall in love with the character of Jesus. The more we do this, the more we are living into this new reality of actually being united with Jesus. You have been saved from your sin. It's nothing that you can do. There are things that we can do in this life to avoid sin. But when it comes to being saved from your sin, when it comes to you know our our character, our nature, our identity, that has all been given to you through Jesus, through the death on the cross and the resurrection from the grave, the gift of faith that you now have, you've been bought into the family of God. So live like it. Now, I know for some of us too, that, you know, maybe maybe we are trying to make moves towards becoming more sanctified, becoming more like Jesus, but we're having a hard time doing that. Maybe you're at home and you feel isolated. You haven't talked to another Christian in a while, or maybe you have a relationship with another Christian, but you're just not really honest. They're not honest with you. Your, your conversations don't go into that deep level of accountability and camaraderie and I just really encourage you man you need a loving community around you that can speak faith into your life and hold you accountable to this new lifestyle of victory and I like I said at the beginning of this podcast I want you if that's you if you need to talk to someone if you need to get out of this pattern of sin in your life if you've placed your faith in Jesus or maybe you haven't placed your faith in Jesus yet I want you just to text me right now. Stop this podcast, go to the show notes, grab my number, text me right now. And I will personally talk with you or connect you to someone who can bring you into an accountable environment. This is the way that we move forward in our lives with Jesus is that we step into the story that God has given us and now this renewed vision of that story through Jesus. The more and more you step into that, the more and more you have people around you who encourage you to jump into that with words of faith and action, the more and more you will live into this person that God has made you to be. And how good does that sound? No more shame, no more guilt, all peace, all joy, all 
hope. Hey, thanks for joining in today. If you're listening to this and you're a 20-something and you're just looking for some community during this time, please reach out to us on Instagram at cmyoungadults. Uh, We'd love to get you connected with our WhatsApp group chat and our Marco Polo chats that are always constantly going on. And if you're just looking for some prayer, if you need somebody just to talk to, please reach out to us there as well, and we'd love to get in touch with you. But tune in next week for a new episode. We'll see you then.